0: Let me tell you why I chose Anchor to host my podcast. First, it's free. It's one of the few hosts I found that really is free. They have all the tools that you need. You can make your podcast on a computer or you can download their free app and make edits and uploads straight from your phone. So, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, I say download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Earlier today, in Washington, D.C., another career politician said something really, really stupid. Officials are concerned that ignorance and stupidity has blatantly crossed party lines and, unfortunately, has made its way to those appointed by elected officials as well. You don't say. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. You have just entered Liberty Lighthouse, where we cut through the fog with common sense logic. Coming to you from Pennsylvania, the state of independence, here he is. U.S. Navy veteran, author of the book, Progress, Really, and your freedom-loving host, Peter Seraphine. Welcome to Liberty Lighthouse. I am the keeper of the Liberty Lighthouse, your beacon of common sense, your wiki, if you will, Peter Seraphine. I urge you to join this conversation by calling 64-MY-RIGHTS, that's 646-974-4487. And go to Liberty-Lighthouse.com, sign up to be a member. Now, let's start the show. Today, we're going to spend some time talking about the federal minimum wage. There's been a big push by our leftists, our Democrats, our progressives, whatever you want to call them. The presidential candidates on the Democratic side of things all seem to think that a $15 an hour minimum wage is be a good idea for our country. And I did a whole bunch of research over the last week, and I want to talk about that. So we're going to talk about what it costs to live in different parts of the country, what a federal minimum wage is versus a state minimum wage or even a municipal minimum wage, and what's inflation, and when was the last time it was changed, and all of those kinds of things. So, let's start out by talking about the existing federal minimum wage. The federal minimum wage is $7.25. It was set to that in 2009. It's been 10 years since the federal minimum wage has been addressed by Congress. It probably is time to look at it. Does that mean we need to more than double it and just make it $15 an hour? I don't think so. I think we need to look at, well, what's inflation been over those last 10 years? So, I did that. $7.25 in 2009 has the equivalent buying power of $8.11 today. Hmm. $8.11. That's a far cry from $15. So, I have an idea, and some states are already doing this. We'll cover that in just a bit. Why don't we tie the federal minimum wage to inflation? so that it adjusts automatically every year, or three years, or five years, or something like that. Kind of like postage stamps. The United States Postal Service has to ask Congress if they want to raise the price of a postage stamp, and Congress will only allow that up to the amount of inflation since the last time it was raised. That sounds like a pretty good idea to me uh, regarding the federal minimum wage. So if the federal minimum wage was set at seven dollars and twenty-five cents in two thousand nine, and presumably they did a whole bunch of research before they came up with that number, and uh, let's tie it to to inflation and make it eight eleven now, or you know what, eight twenty five, eight fifty, set it to a number, and then have it automatically adjusted every year, even for inflation. That's what one idea. All right. So moving on. Uh, the federal minimum wage is seven dollars It's been that way for 10 years. What is the federal minimum wage? I mean, really, like, what is it? Well, it's the least amount of money that can be paid by an hour to any one employee anywhere in the 56 United States states and territories. So 56 states and territories are bound by the federal minimum wage. And bound by is actually a bad way to say that. Um, They're allowed to raise the minimum wage above the $7.25 minimum that's set federally. The federal minimum wage is more like the minimum of minimums. Your state, your town, your county has all the power in the world to raise it higher than that. As a matter of fact, several have. Uh, there are 29 states and the District of Columbia have minimum wages set higher than the $7.25 minimum wage. I'm perfectly fine with that. There are five states that have no federal minimum wage law, or I'm sorry, there are five states that have no state minimum wage law, which means they default to the federal minimum wage. And then there are 16 other states who have their minimum wage directly tied to the federal minimum wage. So all together, there are 29 states and the District of Columbia that have minimum wages that are higher than the (laughs) $7.25 federal. And there are 21 states that are at the (laughs) $7.25 federal. So what's that mean for people? Well, according to the Congressional Budget Office, there are 17 million people that earned somewhere between the $7.25 federal minimum wage and the proposed $15.00 an hour minimum wage. 17 million people is a lot of people. But that same report from the Congressional Budget Office says that if they jumped the minimum wage to $15.00 an hour, it would raise 1.3 million people above the federal poverty line. 1.3 million people above the poverty line but there are $17 making less than $15 an hour. Something doesn't add up there. Well, that's because the federal minimum wage of $7.25 for a 40-hour work week is not below the federal poverty line for a single person. Now, for a family of two or more, it is below the poverty line, but not for a single person. So, $15 an hour would would, uh, raise uh, 1.3 million people above the poverty line. That's wonderful. 1.3 million people getting out of poverty sounds like a wonderful thing. What's the downside, right? Well, the downside is that that same $15 an hour law would probably put 1.3 million people out of work. And actually, the 1.3 million people being put out of work, that's a median number. It could be anywhere from zero to 3.7 million people that lose their jobs. So let's see, we're going to take a $1.3 million and bring them above the poverty line, but we're risking the chance of putting 3.7 million people completely out of work if we raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour at the federal level. That seems a little scary to me. All right, let's go back to the states for a second. We talked about, there were 29 states that already have a minimum wage higher than the federal and 21 that don't. We all know that the cost of living varies wildly from state to state, so it makes sense that states would have very different minimum wages. I looked at the uh, HUD Fair Market Rent Report, the Housing and Urban Development Fair Market Rent Report that comes out every year for how much that Variance can be from state to state and territory to territory because their report covers all 56 states and territories just like the federal minimum wage does. So any guesses as to the cheapest place to rent a two-bedroom apartment within those 56 states and territories? I was a little surprised that it's Puerto Rico. The average two-bedroom apartment in Puerto Rico is $456 a month. And they're one of the places that still pays the 725 dollars federal minimum wage amount. That makes sense, right? They have the lowest minimum wage and the lowest housing expense. What do you think is the highest? This really wasn't a surprise to me. The place with the highest rental for a two-bedroom apartment again, state and territory is Washington, D.C. The average two-bedroom apartment in Washington, D.C., costs $1,793 a month to rent. That's $21,516 a year. That's $6,000 more than what you would earn 40 hours a week at $7.25 an hour. So it's really no surprise that the minimum wage in Washington, D.C. is $14 an hour. Higher cost of living, higher minimum wage. Everyone is bound by the $7.25 minimum of the federal level. But individual states and localities can raise it. For example, everybody knows New York City is crazy expensive, too. And they're set to raise their minimum wage to $15 an hour by the end of this year. It's currently $14. dollars will be $15 by the end of 2019, if I remember correctly. I didn't write that down in my notes. Okay, maybe you don't like the idea that I included territories in my data here. Okay, let's look at the highest and lowest whole state. The number two in the study, so the state with the highest two-bedroom apartment rank, is Hawaii, $1,567. The lowest state with a two-bedroom apartment price is Arizona. $666 a month. Now, if the price of rent can vary by as much as 393% between Puerto Rico and D.C., why should the federal minimum wage have to keep up with the highest end and not the lowest end when, in fact, the federal minimum wage is the minimum of minimums? States can raise it. Towns can raise it. They just can't go below seven twenty-five. dollars Some states or towns even get creative on how they raise their minimum wage. Uh, New York, for example, the, the state minimum wage is $11.10. New York City has a graduated minimum wage. If you work for a company that has 10 or fewer employees, then your minimum wage there is $13.50. But if your company has 11 or more employees, then the minimum wage is $15 an hour. That's actually kind of smart for New York City. Uh, I don't say those words together very often, so excuse me if they sounded funny. New York City realized at that moment that raising the minimum wage hurt the small businesses way more than it hurts the big companies. So they allowed... The smaller companies to keep the minimum wage a little lower than the bigger companies. Now you might argue that that's not fair because why is the bigger company being punished versus the smaller company? But that's not really for this topic. I just wanted to point out that they got creative and they realized they were going to hurt the small businesses and attempted to do something about it. That kind of brings me to one of the next things I want to talk about, and that's the fact that minimum wage laws can really hurt small companies and really help big companies the effect of changing the minimum wage just has a bigger impact on smaller companies than it does on bigger companies and we all know that small companies are the backbone of the u.s economy they employ more more people and they buy more goods and sell more goods than the big companies it's just the big companies are the ones that everybody wants to go after so For all of our friends out there who want to push for the $15 hour minimum wage or what they refer to as a living wage, let's look at that next. What effect does it really have on the small company as well as the big company? First, I'm going to take a little break and when I come back, we'll get into that one. So follow me on the social media, Facebook and Twitter at P Seraphine. Check out liberty-lighthouse.com. And wherever you're listening to this podcast, please click the leave a voice message. Love to get your thoughts and add them to the next show. We'll be right back in just a minute. Are you fed up with progressive society? I'm Peter Seraphine, and my frustration led me to write a short book titled Progress, Really? Progress, Really, is about the past, current, and future state of American culture, government, and social standing. I urge every liberty-loving American to visit my website, seraphine.com, and order a copy. Give progress, really, a quick read, and some serious thought. That was seraphine.com, S-E-R-E-F-I-N-E.com. Order your copy today. Okay, we're back. Before we get into how minimum wage laws affect small companies more than big companies, Want to get back to one of the other things that uh, states do that is in, uh, creative and ingenious. And in my opinion, this one is a really good idea. Eight of the 29 states that already have minimum wage laws higher than the federal minimum wage have their minimum wage tied directly to the cost of living. So, kind of like Social Security or the VA benefits or wages at a union job, they have their minimum wage directly tied to the cost of living so that it automatically raises as the cost of living raises. I think that's a brilliant idea. I'd love to see the federal government do that. So let's uh, get to the big company versus small company. Well, Walmart is often picked on as being the evil corporate empire of the world. So let's look at them and what they pay versus what uh, some guy at some corner store might pay. Walmart starts their employees at $11 an hour. That's well above $7.25. Target, $13 an hour. Amazon, $15 an hour. A lot of big companies already pay well above the minimum wage. Most of the people who are big proponents of the $15 an hour minimum wage hike are looking at the big companies as evil, and they want to raise the minimum wage to distribute the wealth of these multinational corporations that are making gobs and gobs of money. And in fact, they're really not doing much for Walmart to do a $4 an hour hike versus the guy at the corner store who might only have three employees and pays them minimum wage. He's got to do an almost $8 an hour hike, which obviously is going to hurt more than $4 an hour. So let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about the guy at the corner store. Let's pretend for a minute that I have a little corner store and I have three employees. I've got one guy who's been with me for a few years and he makes, I don't know, $10 an hour. And I've got two more that I just recently brought on. I started them at minimum wage. No, I didn't start them at minimum wage. I started them at $7.50. So I've got one guy at $10 an hour, full-time, 40 hours a week, and two people at $7.50 an hour, 40 hours a week. That's $1,000 a week that I'm paying out in labor to my three employees. If the federal government suddenly hikes minimum wage to $15 an hour, do I have more than $1,000 to pay in labor? Obviously not. I still have $1,000 a week to pay in labor. So what do I have to do? Well, I either have to find a way to cut my labor expenses, or I have to raise my prices. So let's look at cutting labor expenses. Well, my $10 an hour guy, he's been with me for a couple of years. So I'm, he knows what he's doing. I'm going to keep him. So he's going to get a $5 an hour raise. Good for him. What about the other two? Well, I'm going to have to fire one of them. Because I, I just don't have enough money. I have $1,000 a week. So one guy's gone. One guy's got a $5 an hour raise. the third one, well, I'm going to keep him. I'm going to pay him the $15 an hour that I'm supposed to. But now I'm only going to give him 26 and two thirds hours at $15 an hour. So he got a big fat raise, but he lost almost 14 hours a week in work. But I only have $1,000. So my other option, let's say I'm a super nice guy. And I really want to keep my three employees because they just mean so much to me. They mean more to me than, I don't know, keeping my business. My other option is raise prices. I've got a little corner store and I do, I don't know, $10,000 a week or whatever. And I decide I'm going to raise my prices. My prices were probably already higher than Walmart because I don't have the buying power of Walmart. The only reason I was in business is because I'm more convenient than Walmart. and I'm right down there on the corner. But when I raise my prices even higher, how many of my customers are going to go run into Walmart or Target or Amazon? I'm going to guess a lot because now I'm not just a little bit higher than they are. I'm a lot higher than they are. Now what happens to my three employees when I lose all my customers? Some of that's exactly what a University of Washington study showed. When cities in the state of Washington started to raise their minimum wage, the University of Washington did a very detailed study. What's really neat about their study is it's the only one I'm aware of that actually has the hours that the employees work. Most labor studies regarding minimum wage end up telling you, well, the uh, unemployment numbers didn't really change. So they assume that the raise in minimum wage had no effect on employment. But they don't have the level of detail to pull out how many hours the employees are working. The unemployment didn't change, but the hours that they work does change. The University of Washington said when minimum wages started going up and they started their study that the average was about a 3% increase in wage. That's pretty awesome but it was about a 6% reduction in hours worked, on average. So maybe unemployment didn't go up, but people are working less, fewer hours. So I don't think that's much help. Anyway, the University of Washington study had a lot of neat stuff in it. One of the stories that was told by the guy doing the reporting was that the president of the Restaurant Association for the State of Washington approached him and said, "Well." restaurants are going to be okay. We will find a way. We already have plans and theories. So what do they do? Well, some restaurants stopped being table service restaurants and they went to counter service. So now they got rid of the need to pay for busboys and waitstaff. Now you, as the customer, order from a counter bus your own table, take your own tray to your table, and clean it all off, so that eliminates some of their labor. Maybe they start buying already chopped vegetables, chopped by somebody in, I don't know, Mexico, where they're not bound by our federal minimum wage. And by doing that, they can get rid of a prep cook that they used to pay $15 an hour. There's also technology. You've all seen them. What about those... Guest activated terminals, as they're called, where you walk up and order your own food from your own touchscreen. Uh, that's one less cashier or one less server that has to be paid labor for. Or when you go to check out at the grocery store or Walmart, you check out your own stuff. Now they've got one employee watching eight or ten registers instead of one employee at every register. I'm sure all of these things would eventually be developed but when you double the minimum wage they get developed a lot faster because now it's more cost effective so our service goes away then you've got those order in apps how many times have you seen just just about everybody's doing it now order your food from your phone and it'll be ready when you go to pick up Starbucks that's one you can order your food from your phone tell them what Starbucks Starbucks you want to get it from have your fancy mocha, frappa, latte, whatever thing sitting on the counter with your name on it ready for you. Well, the nice thing about that is they might get your name spelled right that way. But anyway, it's convenient, but it's also eliminating the need for that cashier or an extra cashier, maybe. Another thing, when we talk about unskilled or low-paid or minimum wage jobs, a lot of us just automatically think about the food industry because there is a lot of Low-paid jobs in the food industry, from the farm all the way to the table, there's a whole bunch of hands involved that probably make somewhere around minimum wage. It's not the only industry. In fact, the restaurant industry is not the industry that ha- that uh, employs the most unskilled, low-paid labor. You know what it is? The healthcare industry. Think about all the janitors and cafeteria workers, all of those people that you need in just about every hospital and all the people that clean the doctor's offices. You think your health care is high now? You think affordable health care is, is unreachable now? Wait until they have to pay everybody who sweeps up the floor $15 an hour. What do you think your hospital bill is going to go to then? Another interesting thing that the University of Washington study showed was that raising the minimum wage cuts out the bottom rung of the income ladder. The bottom rung of the income ladder, if you think about that, that your first job. You're, least, you're unskilled, you're not paid well, but that's a starting point. You're going to go up. When the minimum wage went up in Washington, or in these cities in Washington where the study was, Those that already had jobs, well, they managed to keep them or find other ones. Those that were trying to enter the workforce or re-enter the workforce were the ones that were hurt most. Nobody wants to pay $15 an hour to train somebody. So if you don't have any experience, it's going to be really hard to enter the workforce to get that first rung on the income ladder job. If you've already got some experience, you've got a foot up. You, you're already on the second rung or the third rung of the ladder. Anyway, raising minimum wage, it's, it's eliminating minimum wage jobs. Because we find ways around them. We develop technology. We change business plans. We do what we have to do to maintain profits and eliminate the job if needed. So who's that really helping? Certainly not helping the poor, unskilled labor force. You know, after all of this research that I did, I came up with the same conclusion that I come up with with so many of our problems in our country. It is not the federal government's job to fix everything for everyone. Federal minimum wage being jumped to $15 an hour is going to hurt a lot of businesses and a lot of people. Your state and local minimum wage is being jumped to $15 an hour. That might help a whole lot of people. I think this is just one of those examples that the federal government needs to stay out of it. They've already got a minimum wage set. Jump it up to and some change to keep it tied uh, to keep up with inflation, and then tie it to that inflation, and then Congress can stop messing with it and go do something else. If minimum wage isn't enough to live on in your town, well, then petition your town to change it. It doesn't have to be changed at the federal level. The federal minimum wage is the minimum of minimums. It's actually set up. The way I wish the rest of our government was set up. The federal government sets the basement level, the very, very basic foundation, and then the states and local governments expand upon it. Rather than the federal government stepping in and stomping all over the states and federal government, they just set the minimum of minimums. That minimum of minimums actually got a pretty good track record of keeping up with inflation. Back in the mid-1980s, when I started my first job, the minimum wage that I was paid was $3.35 an hour. Adjusting for inflation, that'd be about $7.45 today. Minimum wage is at seven twenty-five. It's only a quarter off. That's not bad. So why not keep it directly tied to inflation? Why do we have to jump to $15 an hour? You don't have to have a $1,000 smartphone. You don't have to have a $400 a month cable bill. These are not necessities. And the minimum wage is supposed to keep you alive. With a roof over your head and food in your belly. And that's about it. The U.S. Constitution and Declaration of Independence, our founding fathers, guaranteed us the right to pursue happiness. They don't give us the right to get happiness handed to them. Doubling the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Is an unnecessary gift. Heck, for if I can go do a meaningless, unskilled, lazy job for $15 an hour, I might quit being a mailman. Because you know, being a mailman's stressful. If I can make almost as much money with some really super easy, unskilled entry-level job. Why would anybody ever want to do anything other than super easy, unskilled, entry-level jobs if you're going to get $15 an hour to do it? Okay, I'm starting to ramble. So, in summary, I think our minimum wage is just a, a little bit off. It should probably be adjusted for inflation to $8 and change and then tied to inflation from here on out so that nobody ever has to think about it again. And the federal government should not be doubling or tripling the minimum wage ever. States and local governments can do what they wish, but the Fed should not. Doubling it on a federal level will put a whole lot of people out of work, and it'll close a whole lot of small businesses. And then we'll just be helping put more money in the pockets of Walmart, Target, Amazon, and all the other big companies that seem to be the root of all evil, according to those that want to double the minimum wage. Anyway, click that Leave Me a Voice message button or send a voice message button in your podcast provider. We'll get to your questions, comments, and concerns next week on our follow-up episode. Then the following week, we're going to talk about congressional term limits. And I have to say, my opinion on that matter has has actually flip-flopped. After uh, listening to some other people and starting my research for it, I went from, well, kind of on the fence. I thought term limits were probably a good idea, but they would never happen, so I didn't put a whole lot of thought into them. Now I think congressional term limits might be a bad idea. Come back in uh, two weeks and hear me talk about it. Find out why my opinion changed. Thanks for stopping by the Liberty Lighthouse. I'm Peter Serafine. Follow me on social media at Seraphine. Come back to Liberty Lighthouse often. Like, subscribe, share, favorite, whatever it is that your podcast provider has there for a button leave me voice messages that I will use on the next week's follow-up episode, and protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America.